Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the 50th episode of Hummus Tailgate Party. As always, I am your host, Juan Thomas Jackson, and thank you for being with us tonight on um, Wednesday the 14th as we get ready for bowl season. Um, We are going to look backwards for the most part on this episode and just kind of do a recap of the season as a whole. Um, I'm going to talk about some of the off-season maneuvers so far. Um, Of course, those are still coming each and every day, especially with the transfer portal. We'll hit on the coaching hires a little more in depth than we did in the last episode. Um, We'll talk about some of the big just winners and losers as far as programs um, and trends go for the season. Um, But first, unfortunately, we have to start on a somber note with the passing of coach Mike Leach. Coach Leach passed away on, uh, I don't know, Monday night or Tuesday morning at the age of 61 after suffering a heart attack um, near his home, um, the hospital where he passes in Jackson, Mississippi. He had a 158 and 107 overall head coaching record that spanned over two decades at Texas Tech, Washington State, and finally Mississippi State, where he was currently coaching when he passed. Um, This was very unexpected. He wasn't too old, um, but this heart attack, uh, he was at practice just on Saturday. And after that practice, he went to a holiday party um, with a lot of Mississippi media members and his son. And uh, just, just really shocking and tragic. And he was a Figure that was beloved all across college football, no matter what team uh, most people cheered for. And uh, he made really, really big impacts on the game over the course of his career. His teams were known for the air raid offense. Really what you think of is pretty classic Big 12 or Pac-12, spread it out, just throw the ball all, all over the yard, you know, only run the ball on 10 or 15% of your plays if you just absolutely have to. That was his style. And when he got the guys in his system to make it work, it worked really, really well. He had some really fun, notable teams um, at each stop along the way of his three head coaching uh, schools, most notably at Texas Tech, that Michael Crabtree Red Raider team that knocked off, I believe at the time, the undefeated Texas Longhorns in 2008. Um, Every lifelong college football fan knows that play of Crabtree breaking free of the defender and getting in the end zone as the clock expired at Washington State. He had some great teams uh, led by Gardner Minshew. It was just a classic Pac-12 after dark, high-scoring, really fun offense. And uh, this, he it was about to finish his third season in Starkville and had improved Mississippi State's record each and every year that he had been there, ending this year at a pretty impressive 8-4 and four mark in his third season there with the Bulldogs. Um, he was one of the pioneers of this air raid offense that I've mentioned a couple of times already and was a really big part in how the game has changed so much um, and become you know revolutionized and so much more efficient in a lot of ways on offense over the past couple of decades. Um, you know, it doesn't it didn't always work for him. Some of his tenures were had their ups and their, their downs. But when he you know, his classic thing was if he could have a quarterback in his system that started for three seasons, just like state had uh, this this year, then it, it seemed uh, everything just clicked. And he when he could get the guys in his system and give it a couple years 
to uh, seep into their brains and them to truly understand it and just play fast without thinking that it, it normally went very, very well. Um, but as big of an impact as he had on the field for college football, I think most people think first of his off the field antics uh, when they think about Coach Leach. He was just known for his comedic demeanor and his general easygoingness and all of his, as SVP said last night, eccentric interests outside of football. Um, you know, you never really knew what he was going to say, but you did know that he was always going to be very casual and friendly with fans. If you ever saw him at a gas station or on it, he would always walk to his office in the morning um, or see him at a barbecue restaurant. He was all, he always had a minute to spare to chit chat with someone. And, you know, there's just been an outpouring of stories on Twitter and across sports media of people that have, you know, both media, famous media members and people just like you and I alike um, that at some point had an interaction with Coach Leach and had nothing but good things to say, and especially how, you know, Coach would always ask about the other person for 10 or 15 minutes and, you know, not really want to talk about himself because he, he seemed to be genuinely just interested in other people's interests and their families and, you know, what, what was important to them and how they lived their lives. So even the most casual of college football fans at this point probably grew to know him on a first name basis because of all of all of his quotable interviews and press conferences and social media presence and whatnot. So I'll wrap it up there, but just a really, really shocking and sad development over the past few days in college football. And um, yeah, you don't know what you got till it's gone, I guess. And it can just happen so fast. So hug your people. So rest in peace to Coach Leach. And uh, obviously thoughts and prayers are with his family, friends, and uh, all those players and coaches and fans that he touched along the way. All right, moving on to all of the fun stuff on this episode. Uh, we'll stick with the coaches to get it started off. All the different hires and changes and firings across the major programs in the sport. We already touched on a couple of these, so I won't double dip too much. Um, but we already talked about Dion Sanders getting hired about 45 minutes up the road from me in Boulder, Colorado. I spoke on how excited everybody was uh, last week in that episode, but now that it's had even more time to you know spread around and hype grow a little bit, I've just never seen this much buzz about the Buffs, and I've been here in Colorado for three and a half years. So as someone who adopted them as my second team three and a half years ago, and can't even pretend to get excited for a Buffs game, and nor can their alumni at this this point, um, I, I'm just thrilled to see everybody out here finally excited about CU football, um, because God knows no one is going to be excited about the Broncos for a long time. So the good people of the Centennial State deserve something. And uh, moving on to Luke Fickle at Wisconsin, we already touched on that, how great of a job I think the gig in Madison is, and I think that is going to be a really wonderful fit for a very long time. Um, Scott Satterfield was the one who replaced Luke Fickle at Cincinnati. Pretty rare move here to go from a Power 5 job, he was at Louisville, uh, to a Group of 5 job in the American Conference at Cincinnati. Cincinnati has had a much better program than Louisville over the past few years, so take that for what it's worth. Um, but still, you very rarely see a coach go from Power 5 to Group of 5 
this this okay well the Satterfield thing was weird his relationship with Louisville grew very sour over the last couple years and we've pretty much had him on the hot seat list since the beginning of this podcast if I recall correctly so it was a long time coming and I think they and this year they were just waiting for anything to happen where they could fire him but Louisville actually overachieved a little bit but it still didn't seem like it was a good long-term fit so I don't know whether they agreed to just mutually move on. And I believe that both sides are happy with Satterfield leaving. Um, whether he was really fired under the table or not, that's not how they presented it. Um, but a lot of times, you know, the official, the university officials, AD and president, whoever might come up to the coach and be like, look, we appreciate you. So we're not just going to fire you, fire you, but like it's time to step down and you have this other opportunity waiting. So why don't you just take that and you won't have to look as bad and we can both just go on our merry ways. So I think that's probably what happened. I very strongly believe that both sides are happier where they are now. Speaking of Louisville, that gig got filled in by Jeff Brom, who has been at Purdue for a while, and he just took the Boilermakers to the Big Ten championship game. Of course, they just kind of fell ass backwards into that game as an 8-4 and four team, uh, getting blown out by Michigan and Indianapolis. Uh, but someone, it's one of those deals like the NFC South. Someone has to win it, so it just happened to be Louisville because... Literally, the next best option was Iowa, and good God. I mean, that's just sad if that's the case. Um, but he did pretty damn well at Purdue, all things considered, and I think he should be able to do better at Louisville. Um, it just seems like a stronger program that's seen higher highs in recent years. Of course, they had the Heisman Trophy winner a few years ago in Lamar Jackson. Um, Brom is an offensive guy, so maybe he can recreate some of that magic that Louisville had the past decade with a couple quarterbacks who are still doing pretty well. Well, Lamar really well, and Ted Teddy Bridgewater, who has had a Voyager, but a good NFL career. So I think Brom should be able to find success there at Louisville. It's his alum, um, so yeah, that's probably why he made that move. If it seems kind of lateral to some of y'all, it probably kind of is. But with him having played quarterback there in the past and uh, Louisville reaching higher heights in recent years, I think that's probably a pretty good gig, considering he probably got to Purdue about to its ceiling. So congrats to Jeff Brom returning home to lead the Cardinals. I think I spoke on Matt Rule going to Nebraska a couple episodes. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. This feels a lot like the Scott Frost hire. Everyone thought that was going to work out, myself included. I'm not trying to put anybody down because I think most people are wrong on it. feels kind of like the Tom Herman hire at Texas. Everyone thought that was going to work out, and it didn't. It's just really, really hard to tell with some of these programs that have been in a cycle of suck. And with how the transfer portal is now, I think that, you know, anything can happen in a really short period of time. I think that Matt Rule has a decent bit of clout to his name, uh, considering what he's done, how quickly he has flipped the programs at Temple and Baylor in his past. Really supremely, historically shitty situations, and he got those teams from winning one or two games to winning double-digit games in just two or three seasons. That was before the transfer portal rules, or well, before the portal truly existed in the way that it does now. But considering how fast he was able to flip those programs, now he's 
been there, done that in the NFL, even though it went pretty horribly. He at least has some experience that he can pull from that as well, I'm sure. Um, And I think one of the big things here, why this might end up working, in addition to everything I've already said, is that you don't have to recruit a guy to go live in Nebraska for four years. Uh, No offense to my neighbors up to the Northeast, but let's be honest, not too many people are going to be too high on that, even with their storied history and devoted fan base. You can just get some junior or senior who has one or two years left in eligibility. Uh, You don't have to pitch him on moving from Atlanta, Georgia to Lincoln, Nebraska. Uh, You can just say, hey, we've got a spot for you on this year's roster. Come to Lincoln for your last year. We'll get you drafted. And who knows? We'll see. I think I mean, if he can't do it there with how quickly he's flipped much worse situations, believe it or not, than the Nebraska, then I don't know who the hell can. Um, but you see how fast a team like Tennessee, I would compare them to Nebraska a lot because they had a very similar trajectory, very similar down period for a long time recently. And you see everything just click and flip at the drop of a pen for Tennessee. So that could easily be Nebraska here in a year or two. But I thought the same thing, uh, you know, the past couple coaches they've had. But with with the portal now, man, I mean, damn, it's, it's hard to see Rule not getting them to at least a pretty good place. You know, I mean, maybe he'll get the Bo Pelini treatment after a while. I don't know if they're going to be winning any Big 12 championship or Big 10 championships or anything, excuse me, but I don't know. I I like his odds. I just wouldn't bet on it. (laughs) All right, we'll get into Hugh Freeze now. So, I mean, this is the case with all of these new coaching hires, Um, but like I was just saying about Matt Rule, Hugh Freeze is going to take advantage of the portal big time right off the bat. So he's a good recruiter to begin with, but now with Auburn's depleted roster that the past couple years has just really, really kind of gone to shambles under the Harson administration, Hugh Freeze will be able to flip this thing fast And he'll have success if he can combine some upperclassmen transfers with some high schoolers that he can get to commit for the whole time. Because we'll talk about Mel Tucker a little bit later. But um, you see his first year, he went so hard in the portal and they did really well. I think they won nine, maybe 10 games last season. Um, that this year when they lost all of those one-year commits, they dropped way, way down and had a massively disappointing season. So it's kind of a balance, but considering how little talent Auburn has on paper compared to some of their SEC adversaries, he's going to have to take advantage of the portal, and he will. So this hire is not surprising at all. Um, I mean, I think everybody else, I think they did want Kiffin. I mean, you could tell the fans certainly did. They thought they had that in the pocket, Um, but I was skeptical on that the whole time. Hugh Freeze, though, ever since this Harson shit went down over the offseason, I'll give credit to my dad because he's the first one that really put it in my ear. He was like, yeah, they're talking to Freeze under the table. This is all a setup. They're just trying to get Harson out of there and Hugh Freeze in there. And uh, we mentioned that earlier this season when the Harson stuff started really flaring up on the field. And um, sure enough, here we are. So shout out to Chief Knight on that call way back this uh, <laughs> early this last winter or spring. So, you know, 
Auburn staged a coup, an internal coup, within the Auburn family against their head coach, Brian Harson for allegedly having an affair with this secretary girl that's like my age and tries to fire him for that. He says, fuck you, go fuck yourself. I didn't do anything. I'm a decent man. And Auburn just had to put their tail between their legs and waddle away. And then from there on, I mean, everybody knew Harson wasn't going to make it through this season. Um, It was Surprising that he even made it as far as he did because the on the field product sucked and it was clear that all of the people in power at the university wanted him gone so bad that they would drag his family's name through the mud, their own guy. It's one thing if your rivals are stirring up some drama that isn't necessarily true. I mean, that's just college football for you, especially in the SEC. However, good God, they call it an Auburn family, and uh, we've talked about that enough already. However, they try to act all high and mighty about this fake affair um, that they stage Harson for, and then they go on and hire a guy who gets busted for calling hookers on his university phone and poses as this evangelical douchebag Hobby Lobby Christian. So, It's just not surprising at all. This is very typical Auburn, you know, the holier-than-thou behavior and everything. And while I think he can absolutely have great success on the field, this is why I make fun of Auburn, because they try to do this family Jesus bullshit and then go and try to fire Harson for having a quote-unquote affair and then hiring a guy who calls hookers on his university phone, among many other things such as DMing alleged sexual assault victims and telling them to shut their mouth or whatever on Twitter and Instagram. Um, So, you know, it's just, it's the most unsurprising thing in the world. He meets their criteria, which which is, are you a wannabe Christian and have you beaten Alabama ever? Yeah, he coached at Liberty, one of the most fucked up universities in the nation, and he beat Alabama like eight years ago. So sign me up, War Eagle. Welcome to the Auburn family. The, the there's a lot of internal outrage now among the fan base, and I sincerely fear, feel for those who are upset about this hire. But as we know, it'll all go away after he beats Alabama or Georgia. And, you know, the Auburn man whole shtick will be in full force. He's already got it going on. Um, So, you know, it's unsurprising, (laughs) very unsurprising. Uh, Jamie Chadwell replaced him uh, at Liberty. This was pretty disappointing, um, not just because of my feelings about Liberty University, but uh, Jamie Chadwell, I thought he had a chance at a small power five or like a bigger group of five, like a UCF or Cincinnati type of program um, after all the success he had at Coastal Carolina. But maybe that's his thing. It must be if he's taking that job, because I find it hard to believe that he couldn't have gotten a few other bigger ones um, in the South that you know would, would have been happy to have him. So that's that's a little little disappointing that he didn't go to a bigger program, but he'll probably do very well there. And lastly, David Shaw is out at Stanford. <clears throat> if I can toot my own, my own horn for a minute, please. Um, I did call this one way back in September, maybe early October. I 
very, very hesitantly put him on the hot seat list. And I was nervous to do so because it's Stanford and the academics. And even though they've been really down the last couple of years, David Shaw has had a really wonderful tenure there. And I was like, I don't know if they're ever going to fire him, but good God, it's gotten really bad up there in, uh, in Palo Alto. And I think this, like I said, with Satterfield and Louisville, even though that was one where they were like, yeah, we might fire you, but you know, don't let the door hit you on the way out or do let it. We don't care. Um, I think this one with Shaw and Stanford, it had run its course. It had gotten pretty bad. And, um, I think this was one where they really did be like, Hey, you'll always be our guy, but it's just time to move on. And we're not going to come out and just drop the hammer on you after the last game of the season. So it's time to resign. And he did so. Um, so, I mean, salute to, for a amazing tenure there. It's a hard place to win. Um, and they hired, his name is Troy Taylor from Sacramento state is uh, taking over there for the Cardinal. And it's been fun having them in the mix. I mean, some amazing quarterbacks, you know, Davis Mills is doing okay in the NFL. He's playing for the Texans now, and obviously Andrew Luck. And, um, you know, it's been fun having Stanford relevant, and I hope they can get back, but it, it, it could be a long road for that. So, yeah, uh, to wrap it up, my bold prediction is that Deion Sanders, in the long run, is going to have a more successful tenure than Hugh Freeze. <laughs> Let's move on to the transfers. So as I was going through ESPN and 247 and all these different sites have like the master list of every player who's entered the portal and wound up with a new home and those are still pending and scrolling through it. It's like you could literally do, especially now, a podcast every day <laughs> for the next couple months, I'm sure, through the end of recruiting season and cover only transfer portal stuff, not even talk about the games that are going to be happening over the next few weeks. So like I did last year when all this got really hot and heavy and overwhelming, we're only going to talk about the quarterbacks from major programs here because even that, writing those down, I ended up with um, 11. So not in order of significance. This is just in order of when they, who entered the portal first, and some of them have a new home. Some are still out there in space. Um, Cade McNamara, he was the Michigan quarterback last year for their historic playoff season. Started off starting this year for the Wolverines. However, last year he was very game manager type of guy. They just had a great defense, great rushing game great help all around him to succeed in Ann Arbor. And this year, I think they sensed, okay, we might need someone who's really more of a gamer to take the take the sticks. And if we're really going to get over the top, beat Ohio State again, win the Big Ten again, maybe even win a playoff game, I don't know if we can do it with McNamara. They had J.J. McCarthy, their stud five-star quarterback on the bench, and McC uh, McNamara, in case you forgot, started the first couple games of the season, and then they said, okay, it's an open competition, McCarthy's going to start the next game, game two or three, whatever it was. He started, played pretty well, even though it was against like Hawaii or whoever, and uh, Colorado State maybe, and um, it, they essentially had a preseason where they were able to shake this out, and as most 
people predicted Harbaugh ended up going with McCarthy. So McNamara ended up getting getting surgery uh, during the season and never really played again. And now he will be quarterbacking the Iowa Hawkeyes. Good luck with that, my good sir. Um, wish nothing but success for the guy, but everyone saw Iowa's offense this year. And uh, I would like to see how well Pat Mahomes could even do in that because, yikes. <laughs> Hudson Card from Texas, who this year was the backup. Next year could potentially become the third string when Arch Manning rolls onto campus. Um, he is in the transfer portal, has not found a home yet. He's gotten a decent bit of playing time. Um, he's been in their program for at least a couple years. And this season, after Quinn Ewers went down in the first quarter of the Bama game, Hudson Card came in, you know, played pretty well. He didn't win the game for him, obviously, but he didn't really screw anything up against a pretty good defense. Intimidating spot to walk into. So I think he'll be able to go to some smaller Power 5 uh, program and probably play pretty well and make someone happy to get him on the roster. Brennan Armstrong, very talented quarterback from Virginia. Um, they did not have a good season this year. I honestly don't know what happened. I will hand up, did not watch very much Virginia Cavalier football. Um, but after a encouraging season last year, they ended up with three wins this season. So poor guys with how that season ended. And Brennan Armstrong, he could, you know, he could be a an NFL draft pick if he finds the right home. Um, for this last season of his eligibility. Um, but he's still in the portal, hasn't found a home yet. Phil Jerkovic, 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 <laughs> whichever from Boston College, he is transferring pretty close by to Pittsburgh. He had a great career there at BC, dealt with some injuries along his way. They had a really upsetting season this year after uh, promising, actually, they were a lot like Virginia this year because both teams did pretty well for their standards last season. And this year just went totally downhill. I mean, their whole offensive line got hurt. I think he did two at one point, uh, but he'll be able to go into the Pittsburgh offense and have some success with some better uh, line and skill players all around him. So I think he should have a promising season um, after that. Uh, he's probably transferring there because Keaton Slovis, who was at USC, transferred to Pittsburgh, had a disappointing season this year, um, is back in the portal. So he's seeking out his third team of his college career. This might be a record one I'm about to talk about, but Keaton Slovis's ex-USC Trojan teammate, JT Daniels, who transferred from USC to Georgia to West Virginia this year, had a disappointing season in Morgantown, is now back in the portal for his fourth team of his college career. This is where it gets pretty ridiculous. I mean, you know, I don't have a problem with this, but I mean, good God, four teams. Um, so, I mean, best of luck to them, but I have a hard time. If it hasn't worked yet, you know, I mean, I know he dealt with injuries at Georgia and never really got a super great opportunity there, which was surprising considering his competition was Stetson, who now looks better, a lot better than he was back then. But uh, yeah, anyway, just a wild development for the XUSC quarterbacks there. Um, Haynes King and Eli Stowers, Stowers, I'm sorry, I don't know which one it is, from Texas A&M are both in the portal. They had the quarterback roulette this year with injuries and bad play and bad play calling. So 
A&M, that someone will probably transfer into there because they don't have any answers right now. And uh, long way to go for the Aggies. Long, long, long way. Graham Mertz from Wisconsin. He was the highest recruit in Wisconsin history. They were really, really excited about him going into the 2020 season. Had a great first couple games back then, but since then it has been super disappointing. Paul Christ, who they fired uh, halfway through the season, didn't do anything to help that. He is not the most innovative uh, thinker. More of a kind of Iowa offense situation with him, I believe. And uh, so, yeah, Graham Mertz, maybe he can find some life somewhere else, but I wouldn't expect it to be anywhere big. Uh, DJ Uwingonga... I do this every time. It tongue ties me like nothing else. DJ from Clemson. I can't believe I still can't get this. Uh, he's in the portal. He is the biggest name just by star power that is going in the portal this year, unless some surprises happen, which I doubt will be the case. So talented dude was never able to really get it to click at Clemson. You know, there were moments where he looked really, really great and then a lot of days where it's like, oh, Clemson is struggling, only up 13 to 10 against some nobody late in the third quarter. Like, what's their offense has been stagnant for the last two hours. So he'll find a good home, I'm sure, just because of his raw athleticism and experience, you know, playing at Clemson and big games for a couple years now. Um, but yeah, that'll be very interesting to see where he ends up. Um, a couple more big guns to, to end this. Uh, segment, but Spencer Sanders from Oklahoma State, he has had a wonderful career in Stillwater, and it really surprises me that he's leaving. I honestly was not aware that he had an extra year of eligibility, but I guess with the COVID year, that's just going to be the case for a couple more years. One of those guys you feel like has already been there for five or six seasons, but he's a really good player. Unfortunately, had to deal with some injuries this year, which ended up costing Oklahoma State what probably would have been a trip to the Big 12 title game. I was really high on them going into the season, and they just had injuries all over the place, including their veteran star QB. So someone's going to get a very, very happy addition with Spencer Sanders. And lastly, Drake May, who was damn near a Heisman finalist from North Carolina, entered the portal, but then did decide to stay for his senior season. So expect him to be high in the Heisman chatter going into next year, also the draft boards. So that'll do it. That was 11 Power 5 quarterbacks right there. I could go on for another several hours if I picked out every important player um but you know we got a we got a bedtime later so that's uh that's where the quarterback transfers stand for now but of course this is a developing situation and can can change each and someone's probably important has probably entered the portal since i started this segment so we'll move on to the winners and losers of the 2022 season all right so what we're going to do is first talk about the losers then we'll end it on a good note with the winners I'll start with the little losers and get bigger and bigger and bigger as I go along, just like with winners. So we'll talk about some schools, conferences, coaches, states, staffs, whatever. Had some fun with this one, and here we go with the losers. We'll start with the Big Ten West. They're not a loser if you are a sicko, or maybe they are because they were the sickos conference this year, meaning that every single team was just downright disgusting, ugly, awful football to watch, which, yes, is beautiful in its own sick fashion, um, but we already talked about Purdue 
They won the league at eight and four, and that's only because Iowa fumbled the bag to fucking Nebraska on the last week of the season to not make Indianapolis. And then, of course, just like it happens every single year, Purdue got smashed by Michigan. Whoever comes out of the Big Ten West or East, excuse me, um, is always just a multiple touchdown favorite. So hopefully they fix that soon. We'll touch on that in a little bit. The next loser is the state of Virginia. Um, they, their two big programs, Virginia and Virginia Tech, combined for a six and fifteen record. Really, really tough state of affairs there. Of course, they both had new coaches this season, so it's a, uh, it's a rebuilding year. But they had three wins apiece, and you know, especially Virginia Tech, they just should never be that bad. It's really sad how low that program has gotten, but hopefully they can get back because they're a fun fun school to have in the mix. Um, the state of Colorado is my next loser. However, I upon my research, I saw that they did have, between Colorado and Colorado State, a 4-20 and record. So if that's not on brand, I don't know what is, y'all. I did not include Air Force in this because obviously the service academies are kind of their own little thing and their independent conferences and everything. But most people here, at least in Denver, very different in the Springs, um, but are CU or CSU fans. However, a quick shout out to a brief winner in Colorado. The Colorado School of Mines, just a few minutes from my house in Golden, Colorado, is playing on Saturday in the Division II Championship against Ferris State, which is in Texas, Saturday at noon central. Go or diggers. Uh, the next loser is NC State. Um, they did the classic thing that NC State has always done and probably always will do. They had a lot of hype coming into the season. They were seeking out, I think, their first double-digit win in school history. They were a dark horse for the ACC and even the playoff if you were super high on them. I was high on them for an ACC dark horse. Um, but you know their, their quarterback, Devin Leary, got injured. Tough luck for the Wolfpack, but unless there's an unexpected team playing like a top five Florida State or Clemson team, it doesn't seem like they have much luck ever when the spotlight is on them a little bit. Moving on to our next losers, getting bigger and bigger now. I'll tap my chest, Bama and Ohio State, uh, both with very disappointing ends to the year. Bama was just not the team we thought they would be at all this season. Um, Ohio State coming off of how last season ended against Michigan. I thought that they would be back with a vengeance with all their talent on offense. And Bama, you know, last year was supposed to be the quote-unquote rebuilding year, which I know some of you are rolling your eyes, but, you know, it the it was just a very young, inexperienced new team. And this year we had a ton of guys back, and both teams just fell on their faces and could not get it done and just struggled against even even a lot of games they won. They were just way closer than they should have been. I thought Bama versus Ohio State in the national championship was as close to a lock as you can get preseason and neither is in the playoffs. So that's why we play the games. Next, the Oklahoma Sooners. Obviously, emotions were running very high. In Norman, all off-season and in-season with the departure of head coach Lincoln Riley, who looked like he could have had them as a playoff player basically every year that he wanted to stay there, which they probably assumed at a program like Oklahoma, when you get a guy like that, you just assume that he's going to ride off into the sunset there in Norman, and he did not. I guess he rode into the sunset um, towards Los Angeles, but Caleb Williams, Caleb Williams, their quarterback, that was you know 
supposed to be the next Oklahoma quarterback Heisman winner. They have a long history, especially lately, of that. And uh, they both left. Oklahoma thought, okay, we'll show them. Brett Venables, big, big hire there from, from Clemson. And they went 6-6 six and six this season while having to watch their head coach do really well in his first year at USC. Even though they had a disappointing end against Utah to this season, they still had a great year for his first season. And their ex-quarterback just lifted up the Heisman Trophy. So, yeah, there's that. I would not like to be an Oklahoma fan right now. But you know what would be worse than being an Oklahoma fan right now? It's being a fighting Texas Aggie because our biggest losers of the 2022 season are my guy, Jimbo Fisher, and his Texas A&M Aggies. They went 5-7 and seven this year. They were ranked number 6 in the AP poll preseason. And if you listen to the preseason pod, I'm going to beat, beat my chest one more time here. Um, every single season in the past... 20 years, except for one in 07, um, there has been a top 10 preseason team that finished the season unranked. I predicted Texas A&M and Notre Dame as a chaser. Notre Dame ended up number 21. Of course, they had the disastrous start to the season with their new head coach, Marcus Freeman, but they were able to rally back and have a pretty strong finish to the year. Texas A&M had a really crappy start to the season and a really crappy rest of the season. Um, So yeah, like I said, I did not buy into all the hype. Now at the transfer portal and this amazing historic recruiting class that Texas A&M brought last year, a lot of those guys are leaving. I didn't have time to get to all of them. We touched on the two quarterbacks of theirs that are in the portal, but they have a five-star running back that just entered the portal and a bunch of other studs that are going to be looking for new homes because they do not want anything to do with that Jimbo Fisher offense. And hey, who can blame them? All right, now let's end this on a high note. Uh, Our winners of the 2022 season, again, going from the more moderate winners to the really big ones. First, I would like to give a shout out to Mike Norvell and the Florida State Seminoles. They've been down and out in a bad way ever since Jimbo kind of ran that thing into the ground and departed. This year, they went 9-3 and and are currently ranked at number 13 overall, playing Oklahoma in my favorite bowl game of them all, the Cheez-It Bowl. So good luck to the Knowles. I think they will finish the season in a strong way and get to double-digit wins, which would be really huge for Norvell um, in his third season there in Tallahassee. The next winner are conferences such as the Pac-12 and Big 12 that have a title game format that allows the two best teams to play each other, not just the two top teams in different divisions. Of course, these two conference championship games were far more entertaining than the other ones where there's still the divisional format that probably will be gone soon for in all fairness. Um, But the Utah USC game, even though it didn't wind up being close, if you just looked at the final score was a very entertaining game, huge comeback for the Utes who absolutely obviously deserve to be there. And the big 12 who, instead of having divisions had TCU and Kansas state and a thrilling overtime upset for upset for the Wildcats. The other three conference title games and the Power Five, of course, SEC, Big Ten, and ACC were all blowouts because it probably wasn't the two best teams playing in the title game. So shout out to the Pac-12 and Big 12 for being ahead of the curve on that one. 
The next winner is the LA schools, UCLA and USC combined for a 20 and 5 record. Both of these teams have just been dying to not meet their expectations the last many, many years. And it was really fun to have them in a competitive, great, great game there. Um, the second to last week of the regular season in the Rose Bowl, um, playing each other with a lot on the line. So hopefully Chip Kelly um, can keep that thing going because it certainly looks like Lincoln Riley will. Um, and I just, it's just, you know, it's a great rivalry that hasn't meant a lot lately. And I'm glad to have it back. Next, we have some sleeper SEC East teams. To, you know, different degrees of sleeper, of course. But Tennessee, on a huge breakout season, been a long, long time, probably 2006 or seven that they've had this high of rankings. And, uh, you know, upsetting into the year with them losing to South Carolina and Hooker getting hurt and their playoff hopes going down the drain pretty quick there in November. But still, I mean, a massive turnaround. Heupel was able to do what a lot of other coaches weren't there at UT and really um, go past their expectations. South Carolina, they were a gritty team all year. You know, got the upset against Kentucky, even though Levis wasn't playing. Um they still they were a tough team to play if you were anybody besides Georgia. And then, of course, knocking off Tennessee and Clemson back to back in the regular season. Really great job by Shane Beamer there getting them to eight wins. That's a tough thing to do at South Carolina. And lastly, Vanderbilt. Unfortunately, they were one win away from making a bowl game, but they did get their first two SEC wins um, after knocking off Florida and Kentucky, so happy for Clark Lee and the Commodores finding some success and uh, salvaging their season there in November. Next, I have Georgia, even though it's not surprising to see them win the SEC or make the playoffs. You know, a lot of people thought that they would have a regression, myself included, after losing all the talent that they did last year. I still thought that they were completely capable of winning the SEC and making it to the playoff, but I didn't think they would look as good as they do. Um, so, you know, the the Kirby train is rolling full steam ahead in case there was any doubt before going into this season. Um, only slightly horrifying for the rest of us. Next, I have medical staffs, pretty big winner of this year because there were just so damn many quarterback injuries. And we've seen this in the NFL too, but it seems like once October came around, especially, it was like every single week of the year, there were multiple quarterbacks and not just of random teams, but like prominent power five, top 25 quarterbacks that were going down each and every week. So the medical staffs certainly uh, earned their keep this season. Next, I have coaches making non-traditional moves over the offseason, uh, specifically Lincoln Riley and Brian Kelly. You don't often see coaches leave schools like Oklahoma and Notre Dame to go somewhere else, um, but they both did to, you know, some criticism, much intrigue, and all either of them did were exceed expectations and make their conference championship games and give a lot of hope for the programs going forward. Next, I have the TCU Horn Frogs. Uh, shout out to Sonny Dykes, his first year taking over this program. That has been really good over the last many, many years under Gary Patterson, but they it, it had kind of run its course and 
got a little stale there with Patterson and I think he became not as popular as he once was there in Fort Worth, but Sonny Dykes was able to completely uh, revolutionize this offense. Max Duggan, you know, the Heisman finalist, absolutely electric player for TCU, and they will be playing Michigan in the Fiesta Bowl for a chance to play for the national title. So happy for TCU. They were really the big shock of the season and uh, deserve a lot of praise and credit no matter what happens in the semifinal game. Next, the state of Kansas. Huge, huge, huge season for their two main programs in Kansas State and the Kansas Jayhawks. Kansas State, of course, won the Big 12 in a absolutely electric title game, um, holding on against TCU in overtime. The Wildcats had some kind of dark horse conference champion, you know, maybe even playoff. They were a lot like NC State, that similar level of hype going into the season. But it's like, well, I could see that going that direction for them if they really are clicking on all cylinders, but I could also see them winning seven or eight games and everybody forgetting about them by late October. Um, But they did an amazing job. Deuce Vaughn, one of the best players in the country. They're running back there in Manhattan, the little apple shout out and Kansas making a bowl game. They went six and six after just an absolutely treacherous past several, several seasons Um, Lance Leipold is going to be sticking around there. He got a contract extension, so really happy for him. And for Kansas, winning six games, especially this year, considering what they've been through lately, is like a 10-win season there in Lawrence. So good job to both of the schools from the state of Kansas. Next, we'll end with a pair of uh, people from Michigan, Jim Harbaugh continues to deserve a lot of praise after how bad things were getting in 2020. Of course, he took the huge pay cut and showed a lot of humility. We've spoken on this several times at this point, but it, you know, it deserves to be spoken on several times. And they, uh, they came back. I thought that they would be good, but not great. And they wound up being great. Did not see them beating Ohio state two years in a row, even when they were 11 and 0. Um, and not only did they beat them, they absolutely asserted their dominance once again in the game and proved that they're going to be, a force to be reckoned with for years to come and uh, make their second straight playoff appearance. So shout out to the Wolverines and Jim Harbaugh yet again. Lastly, the biggest winner of the 2022 season is Mel Tucker. You might ask why Michigan State went five and seven <laughs> because he finessed the transfer portal and the entire Michigan State University administration so much that they gave him a near $100 million contract over the next decade for his achievements last year in 2021, and he bamboozled the hell out of them. So kind of a Jimbo situation. He would have gotten a lot more fire this year if it weren't for Jimbo taking much most of the criticism, but he got that bag and then showed them who he really might be. So for how he left Colorado, He's going to be living good the rest of his days. I don't care, but I wouldn't be too sad to see him not succeed too much there with Sparty. So that wraps up the winners and losers of the 2022 season. And we'll finish up here for the 50th edition of Hummus Tailgate Party. So the bull pick'em. not many people have signed up, but please do. I'm going to waive the $10 fee, so just free to enter free prize to the winner, um, which last year it was me. So come and get it. But yeah, the bowl games start on Friday morning. Let's see. 
we've got a pair of Alabama teams playing on Friday. The uh, first game, which is at 11.30 Eastern, so 10.30 Central, uh, the Hometown Lenders Bahama Bowl. Miami of Ohio plays the UAB Blazers. And then the Duluth Trading Cure Bowl, which is in Orlando, is at 2 o'clock Central featuring UTSA versus the Troy Trojans. That should actually be a really good game. Both of those teams had great seasons. Um, go Blazers, go Trojans. You don't have to have all of your bowl game picks in uh, by the start of the first game. You just have to have each game picked by kickoff. So you don't have to do all 30, 40 games at once. Just get the first couple in. There's a lot more games on Saturday when they get to some some bigger teams and everything. But had a lot of fun last year playing along with everybody. So please, please join. I'll tweet and Instagram out the links once again. But uh, yeah, that'll do it. Thank you guys so much for listening. The last couple seasons, uh, it feels good to make it to 50 episodes, and here's to 50 more. So cheers. Everybody travel safe for the holidays. Going to do a bowl game preview for the bigger bowl games that'll come out probably the day before or after Christmas. Um, So keep your eye out for that, and then we'll get more into the uh, actual matchups for the rest of the college football season then. And yeah, safe travels, everybody. Merry Christmas, happy holidays, and thanks for listening. Bye-bye.